All right. I know we're like trading duties. Uh, Beck gets off playing lacrosse. Like, you know, it's what in the world. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for being here this morning. I know I, know I got to follow up SM Lockridge. Man, I tell you what, that's some, some tall orders. So we're in, uh, we're in John chapter 14. Uh, let's, um, let's pray real quick. Like, Father God, we, uh, we have gathered here together in your name. We have opened your word in front of us. Please, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, and open your wisdom to us that, Father, we, we are seeking your face. We are seeking you, and we're seeking healing for the world. We're seeking goodness and blessing and mercy for everyone for our little valley, for our state, for our nation, for the world. And Father, we are seeking to partner with you. So please give us what we need. We, Father, we just see so much suffering. We see so much going on, Father. So as we've, we've gathered here today, please just uh, give us what we need that we can go out and make the world a little bit of a better place this week. Amen. So we're in John chapter 14. We're in verses 1 through 14. And I'll get to the setting in just a moment, but let's, uh, let's jump right into this. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Don't you believe that, um, sorry, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Amen. Last week was, was Resurrection Day, our beautiful Easter celebration. Man, what a great day. I hope you guys had a, a wonderful time after you, uh, after you left church last week. Um, we went home and just had a, had a relaxing day. Remember that these Sabbath days, these Sundays, are meant for the restful enjoyment of God. However you spend your Sabbath, do take that time. It's, you know, our culture is, is very driven. We are very productive. We feel like we're inadequate if we are not in accomplishment, if we don't have a list of things to tell people about that we did over the weekend, we feel like we didn't spend our time well. But a day well spent is a day spent mentally and physically recovering. That's what God intended for us to do. He said, man, just, just take a day. I have given you provision. I have given you blessing. Take one day and dedicate it to the restful enjoyment of me. 
I'm going to pause and we're going to talk about blessing real quick. Like our, our, our theme for today is promises and specifically standing on God's promises. But we want to talk a minute about blessing. And uh, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. We normally think of blessing in this way, don't we? We think of blessing as a gift or a provision from God. And a lot of times, right, don't we think about blessing as something physical like food or water or shelter? Most of us, I think, can tell a story of a time when we were in need, in physical need, and God, out of the blue or in answer to prayer, blessed us with what we needed. Sometimes in the form of of purpose or of work, God blesses us. In Genesis 1, God provides Adam and Eve with both. He provides them with purpose and he provides them with provision. They can eat out of the fruit of the garden. Their physical needs are met and they also have purpose. God says, I want to partner with you to steward this place, to take care of this place that I have created. I have good work for you to do. All of these plants and all of these animals will multiply and be fruitful under your care. And you too will multiply and your children will have good, purposeful lives caring for this place that I have created. So sometimes blessing is meeting our physical needs. Sometimes blessing is in purpose or in fulfilling work. Sometimes blessing is in relationship. God's presence or an answer to prayer or the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts and in our lives. And again, there are folks here that who can tell you about God speaking to them, about God appearing to them, or about God moving with them. But these relationships, the people, our parents, our spouses, our kids, our co-workers, they can be blessings in our lives too, can't they? So sometimes blessing is in meeting our needs. Sometimes blessing is in work or in purpose, and then sometimes blessing is in relationship. All of this is encapsulated in in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14, and it's important to note that this is a specific promise to the people of Israel. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your, of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the people on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. 
The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God, I give you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. It's God saying, I will bless you. And like I say, it's important to note that is a, a specific blessing to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel. He doesn't extend that blessing out because the idea was that that nation would be a beacon, that they would be a people of God. A nation of priests is what he initially envisioned. And then when uh, that sort of fell apart, he put priests among them as one of the, the tribes. But the idea was that this entire nation would speak about God that people would see Israel, would look at Israel, and would draw closer to God. They would get to know God by his holy people. The principle, like I said, that promise was specific to them, but the principle, God's nature does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So the idea that God blesses his holy people is true. Now, not always materially, and we're going to talk in a minute about, about trouble and how even as believers we will, can expect, we should expect to experience trouble. But that idea of blessing pouring out on us and blessing that, that, that it, those provision things, those, you know, like I said, sometimes it's in, in meeting our needs, sometimes it's in purpose or in work or in mission, sometimes it's in our relationships, but God blesses us. Then, the next part is that we can bless God. That, that statement always bugs me. Doesn't it bug you when people say, you know, like when you see the, the stickers that say, bless God, America? I was like, man, that really does not ring right to me. That doesn't sound right. But the thing is that we can bless God. It's biblical. We'll get there in just a moment. But when God has poured out his provision to us, when God has poured out blessing on us, and we give back, out of that, we say, Lord, you have blessed us. When we give back in, in terms of our time, when we give back in terms of our heart, in terms of our love, when we give back in terms of our provision, we can bless God. This is in Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Some of the translations will say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, say the exact same thing. Say, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who give, forgives all your sins and who heals all your diseases and who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. So we bless God with our tithes and our offerings, with belief, with belief, with repentance and humility and worship and obedience. When we give back to God out of the abundance that he has given us, we can bless God. And so in our passage today, Jesus is encouraging the disciples, and he's encouraging us to endure in our faith with an eternal mindset and a blessings mindset an eternal mindset and a blessings mindset. So John here breaks the narrative. If you were to flip back one chapter, the end of John chapter 13 is when Jesus predicts Peter's denial. He says, I tell you the truth, you know, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then suddenly you land into chapter 14 and we get these teachings, these statements from Jesus. And it's going to be 
14, 15, um, yeah, 15, 16, and 17 are all Jesus speaking and praying. It's not until we get to John 18 that we get to the arrest of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. So 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all John saying, hey, I'm going to tell you some things that Jesus said. He takes this break right here. Important stuff, isn't it? Why? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 1. He says, trouble's coming. Trouble is coming, and I don't want you to be troubled. I don't want you to be, that word there is stirred up, and it specifically refers to the, um, the pool at Bethsaida. It specifically refers to that, those waters being stirred up, of the, being muddied. don't want you to be troubled. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And you can imagine for the disciples, imagine the week. They have gone from that wonderful dinner that they had over at, you know, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and then they go to the triumphal entry, to driving out the money changers, to the leaders trying to trick Jesus and to, in the temple courts. And then, then, Jesus tells them he is going to die. He says, this is not going to go the way that you think it's going to go. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be come back the third day. And all this, this whole city, everything that you're looking at, it's all going to be destroyed. Not one stone is going to be left on another. Everything that you know of, the entire nation of Israel, is going to be destroyed. Jesus tells them that. Multiple times he tells them that I am going to die. There is trouble coming your way. That word for trouble is the same word that John used when he spoke about Jesus' soul being troubled. The sickness and the death of Lazarus troubled Jesus' soul. Jesus' death coming at the cross troubled his soul. Agitated, stirred up, silted, murky, cloudy. And Jesus says, in the face of betrayal and arrest and crucifixion and death, do not let your heart be troubled. I think all of us sitting here today, we have plenty of reasons to be troubled. If we just say the word war, every one of us feels it, whether we talk about Ukraine or Thailand and Myanmar or Tibet or Ethiopia. We think about crime, theft and rape and murder. They're all on the rise across the nation. Suicide rates are, again, at an all-time high. They were talking this week about several thousand known terrorists, people who were on the FBI's watch list that have been caught at our southern border. The murder rates have been doubling and tripling in cities like Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and Baltimore. I was uh, listening to a story earlier this week. They were talking about these daylight uh, gunpoint robberies happening at the high-end places in Beverly Hills where these bad guys were watching for people coming out of the expensive shops and coming up and taking their jewelry and their handbags. What about the economy? Everyone's costs are up, aren't they? The rent and the mortgage and the food and the gas and the clothes. All of us have less money. We are worth less and are struggling to meet our basic needs. Injustice and immorality are on the rise. As before, we talk about sickness, cancer, and surgeries. We have plenty of reasons to be troubled. And Jesus never promises us a trouble-free life. And anyone who promises you that hasn't read their Bible. Job 14, verses 1 through 2, says exactly this. It says, Mortals born of woman are a few days and full of trouble. 
They spring up like flowers and wither away like fleeting shadows. They do not endure. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah, they sure do. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Wait a minute. I thought if I got baptized and I read this that I would be... I was listening on the show and this guy told me that if I just named it and claimed it that I would get it. What are you saying here, Jesus? No, he says, you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So Jesus is saying, man... I've got some promises for you. He says, there's trouble coming. Bad things are coming. You're going to have to endure. But, but I promise you that things are going to get better. So part of how we love God, how we bless God, is with expecting, standing on those promises, and enduring in those times of trouble. So our belief, our repentance, our humility, our worship, our obedience, those are lifelong commitments that we make regardless of circumstance, that as the wind and the waves and the trouble come to us, that those things we maintain. I'm going to go to Psalm 13, and we'll just read this whole thing, or at least verses 1 through 6. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice in him when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. There it is. There is the heart of the Christian right there. I'm in trouble but I trust in your unfailing love. Psalm 34, verses 15 through 19. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. We will have trouble. We will have struggles. We will have turmoil. So how do we endure and how do we have peace? That belief, that faith, and holding on to the promises of Jesus. So 14.1a says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. We might think to ourselves, Really? Really, Jesus? Because it seems to me like the disciples and we have plenty to be troubled about. We have a whole list. We just read off of things that really we could be worried about, that we should be concerned about, that should trouble us. So hold that in your head for a moment because we're going to take a break. Because 14.1b says, you believe in God, believe in me also. So the first thing we're going to look at that at 14.1b is, you believe in God, believe also in me. We're going to look at this as doctrine. Because right here, John is refuting anyone who might have a low view of Christ. Anyone who might 
take Jesus as a prophet or just a, a good religious person or as a moral teacher, John is putting an end to that right here. If you missed it in John 1, if you missed it in John 5, if you missed it in John 8, here it is again in John 14. If you believe in me, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is the only one to say this. Every other prophet says, believe in God, believe in God, believe in God. Don't worry about me, look at him. Every other prophet. Jesus is the only one who stands and says, believe in me and believe in God. If you look at me, you see the Father. If you see the Father, you see me. Jesus is the only one who says that. You cannot read this and take a low view of Christ. So when we talk about our faith statements and what we believe, when we talk about the Trinity, why we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in next, well, in a couple weeks, we'll, we'll get to the Holy Spirit, which is in the next section. But John is recording a direct quote of Jesus saying, you believe in God, believe in me also. We're going to go to look at a few of the prophets just to look at what they said, to compare to, because this is unique. This is unique to Jesus. We cannot take a low view of Christ in view of this. So Joshua 1, verses 16 through 18. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for who has spoken? Isaiah didn't speak, for the Lord has spoken. He's not saying, look at me. He's saying, look, the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. Not they have spurned Isaiah. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Micah 1. The word of who? Not the word of Micah. The word of the Lord came to Micah during the reigns of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you peoples, all of you, listen earth and all who live in it. That who? That the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. Zechariah chapter 1 verses 1 through 6. A call to return to who? A call to return to the Lord. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, did they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he has determined to do. Compare that. Compare what that says to 14.1b. You believe in God, believe in me. So now we go back to this part about trouble. Because Jesus has said, there will be trouble. 
but you can be at peace. Well, that's good information to have, isn't it? I could use this right now. How can I be at peace? Jesus says the answer is belief, faith. That's an amazing statement. Faith is our shield in times of trouble. I wonder if there's a place that talks about that. We might go to Ephesians chapter 6. Go to the full armor of God because it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I would like to be able to stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of... Listen to this. This is what protects your heart. Righteousness. Righteousness is what guards your heart. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation. What protects your mind? Salvation. Salvation protects your mind. Righteousness protects your heart. Salvation protects your head. And with what do we fight? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. As the people of God, we are ordered, ordered, commanded to be in the full armor of God, to be warriors in the service of the King. And who are we fighting? It's not our brothers and sisters. It's not another person. That sword should not be turned on our fellow men. We're fighting Satan and his schemes. We're fighting rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And Jesus says, you will be attacked. You will have trouble. You will have trials and tribulations. When the flaming arrows come, how do we protect ourselves? Belief. Faith. Remember the disciples got to see Jesus. They lived with him. They walked with him for over three years every single day. The Bible doesn't exclude us. It doesn't say, eh, you know, you guys are the same. It doesn't do that. Instead, we get commended because we believe without seeing. Over and over and over again, we see this, where it says, man, that belief without sight, that's to be commended. That's the good stuff right there. If we turn to John chapter 20, verse 29, it says, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed, hey, there's that word blessed again. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our faith is commended to us. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. Go to the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So what is the promise? What did Jesus say that gives us such hope even though we haven't seen him? Even though we aren't like Thomas, we haven't touched his side, we haven't seen the wounds in his hands, we haven't broken bread with him. 
Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. It says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, and here's the promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 5 there. We go through that hall of faith. He talks about Abel and Noah and Job and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon, Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. Jesus says, I went to the cross I went to the grave for a purpose. And I am leading the way. I am going ahead of you. I am blazing a trail, making a path for you to follow. I am going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. I suppose it's like when grandma comes to visit, you know, when you got to go and hurry and clean the bathrooms and pick up real quick like, you know, it can't be like the quick wipe down like you normally get before you go back. You got to like actually clean. You know, it's got to actually be nice. I suppose that's what Jesus is doing at home. I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's what that's like. But the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords says he has made room for you in eternity. That's a heck of a promise, isn't it? He says, my dad's house, it's amazing. It's got many rooms. I'm going ahead of you guys. I'm going to go right through the grave. I'm going to come back again, and I'm going up there where my dad is, and I'm making a place for you, specifically for you. We, um, we play this game in the car. I know the kids are getting a little older, but we used to you know, play this game in the car where we would say, hey, what do you think your room in, in God's house is going to be like? What's it going to have? What's it going to be like? You know, is it going to have like a full baseball field? Is it going to have, you know, full soccer field? What will it be like? Just let the kids dream of all the good stuff that's going to be there. Chocolate fountains and endless Skittles and <laughs> streets of gold, buildings of pure white marble, light and warmth, singing, fellowship, love, community, purpose fulfillment. Jesus, the good shepherd, calling and guiding us. John Piper said he couldn't wait. He said, I can imagine, you know, you're you know, climbing up a hill, climbing up a hill, climbing up a hill, and you're more and more and more fulfillment. And just when you get to the top, you realize it goes on forever. The joy, the happiness, the, the purpose, all of those things continue on. So you just get to go down the valley and come right back up and do it again, on and on forever. So verse 2 says, My father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So Jesus says he has to step away for a minute, but he will be back. And when he is back, he will take us with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 says exactly this. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Our future, the future of the believers, is a reunion with Jesus It's an eternity with God. It is a resurrection in a new body, free from the stains of this world. We are just visitors here. This is not our home. We are ambassadors for the king, aliens in a foreign land, knights errant on a mission to protect the people. For those of us whose earth suits are a little ragged and worn, whose suits have a few warning lights on, with a few replacement parts, maybe pins holding it together in places. The fabric is frayed, wrinkled, and stained. It's good news that Jesus has a new suit for us, one that won't wear out. But the next question, thank goodness for Thomas, says, if Jesus is going ahead of us, how will we know where to go? How do we get to the place Jesus has prepared for us? If belief and faith are how I shield myself while I'm here, how do I get there? How do I get to the Father's house? Jesus answers saying, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thank you, Thomas, for asking the question. It leads us to one of our I am statements. If you open your bulletin, you've got them there on the the left-hand side. Because Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So those seven statements are right there in front of you. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, where we are today. And I am the true vine. And there are some things that we want. We want to know in our lives, right? Anybody here not want direction? Anybody want to wander around aimlessly with purpose? Well, like sometimes I guess I do. But Jesus says he is the way. I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth about life, the universe, about purpose and direction. Sick and tired of being lied to. Jesus says, I am the truth. I want life. I don't know about you guys, but I want life. I want an abundant life, a full life, a purposeful, good, fruitful life, a life worth living. 
a life not wasted. And Jesus says, he is the life. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So if you want to know the way, if you want to know the truth, if you want life, you want Jesus. Then, thank goodness, Jesus goes on and explains what he means. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So if we want to know the way, the truth, and the life, if we love God and are seeking God, we need to know Jesus. So belief is the shield. Relationship is the way, the truth, and the life. You must know him, and he must know you. You must choose him, and he must choose you. So how do we build this relationship? How do we get to know Jesus? Well, it starts off with a decision, right? A decision to love Christ. Your mind and your heart driven with that purpose of seeking Christ. Then we dive into those things that Christians do. It's there in Acts 2.42. We pray. We talk with Jesus. One of the best ways to get to know him is to pray, right? Is to talk to him. We can read the word. We can be dedicated to the apostles' teaching. The Holy Spirit inspired these words that we could be built up as a body, as a bride prepared for Christ. We can obey his commands. What is in our hearts and minds should come out of our mouths and hands. And in fact, what comes out of our mouths and hands is evidence of what is in our hearts and minds, according to James. Jesus says, belief in him and relationship with him is what is needed to overcome the troubles of the world. Now, Philip thank goodness, is like us. He expresses some fears and some doubts. Thinking about this, Jesus has washed Philip's feet. Jesus has told Philip his salvation is secure. Jesus has promised Philip a throne with him and God. Jesus has blessed and broken bread with him. Jesus has served wine. And Philip drank the wine at the wedding. Philip ate the bread and the fish at the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. He has seen the blind, the lame, the leper, and the sinner healed. He has seen the dead raised, and he still has fears and doubts. Me too, Philip. Me too. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Come on, man. (laughs) See, there comes a point where we have to step out in faith where our belief has to meet reality and stand or fall. So for us, we have the word, we have the fellowship of our believers, we have prayer, we have the Holy Spirit, we have mission, and we have purpose. And that is sufficient for us to believe. If we cannot have saving faith and build our relationship with Christ from there, it is a choice. It is not a lack of evidence or opportunity. Paul opens Romans with a scathing indictment of unbelievers. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who was forever praised. Amen. Boom goes the dynamite. No one is going to stand in the throne room of God and plead ignorance. God is plain and clear and obvious. His word testifies, his followers testify, and word and deed, the Holy Spirit testifies, and creation testify. Believe or don't, but take responsibility. If you choose not to be a follower of Christ, own the choice. For the believer of those who choose to be followers of Christ... The next part is to take him at his word. He is faithful and true. Believe him when he says he has gone ahead of you and prepares a way for you. Hold on to, hold fast to, stand on that promise. It's what he says in 1411. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So this is the conclusion. This is the end. It says, grab faith as that shield to protect us from the troubles of this world. Stand firm on the promises of Christ. Christ promises us provision. He doesn't promise wealth or comfort. He promises us provision. He promises fair, not equal. Makes it hard sometimes. Some will have more, some will have less, but everyone will have enough. And if you see someone without enough, it is an opportunity to provide. The challenge is to stand on the promises to the very end. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So he emphasizes that. He gives that amen, amen, that truly, truly, repeated for emphasis. And he says, whoever, he broadens that out past the disciples. Because some promises are just for the disciples. Some are specific to those people or places or times. We talked about that earlier in Deuteronomy. This is widened out to all believers. He says some things about mission. Because Jesus has been serving and feeding and healing and teaching. And he says, I am going ahead of you. I am preparing the way. I am going to my Father and my Father's house. Therefore, because, because I go ahead of you, some awesome stuff is coming. The disciples and my church are going to do something amazing. The same things I have been doing, serving and healing and feeding and teaching, but even greater, greater than Christ? Yes, greater than Christ. Look around you. Jesus never drove. He didn't even get to ride a motorcycle. What in the world? He rode a donkey. I don't think so. He never flew. He never had indoor plumbing. He never had heating or air conditioning or electricity. We have more than doubled the average lifespan since Jesus' age. You talk about healing. 
feeding. We have an obesity epidemic in our developed world. Food is so abundant, we have to learn to eat less. I have an app on my phone to tell me to stop eating. (laughs) Hasn't worked so far. I'm working on it. What about teaching? We have free public education in most of the world. Not, Not even just the developed world, in most of the world. Even the poor parts of the world are getting schools. You want opportunities to serve? You name it, you can go do it. You want to go build houses for the poor? You can do it. Go see Habitat for Humanity or the Catholic Outreach. You want to go visit prisoners? Go see Tom. He's not here this Sunday, but go talk to him about it. You can go join the prison ministry. You want to go drill wells in South America? I've got a guy that does that. You want to go care for orphans? Let me know. I've got some friends that um, do foster families. You can go do that as well. You want to feed people? You can come here for food bank. You can go to Catholic Outreach and serve. You can go to Salvation Army. You can go Food Bank of the Rockies. Every one of those mission things is widely available, easily available. Isn't that incredible? The minimal amount of effort that you have to do to do the same things that Jesus did, walking on his own two feet, is absolutely incredible. This promise is fulfilled in our hearing. If you stand on nothing else, look around you and say, wow, those things that Jesus said that the church would do greater things than he did, it is done and it continues to be done every single day. Isn't that amazing? Everything on this planet testifies that Jesus is faithful and true. How can we not stand on the promises? Now, verse 13, that I will do whatever you ask in my name, is not a license to demand our selfish desires from God, to treat God like a genie in a bottle or a holy miracle vending machine. It is a call, as we stand on the promises, to make an effort to seek God's glory. See, we we skip over that part, that so the Father may be glorified in the Son. We skip over that part and get to the other part. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it, right? But it says, why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we seek to do what? To bless God, to seek God's glory in all that we do. We humble ourselves before God, and we seek God's will in our lives. See, we return back to God. We bless God with those tithes and those offerings and the the belief and the repentance and the humility and the worship and the obedience. And Jesus says, the results of a life lived like this will move mountains. You want to move mountains? Here it is. This is the way to do it. He says, grab onto that faith, use it as a shield, and then build your relationship with me. We're going to do some amazing things together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another beautiful Sunday. Thank you for air conditioning and indoor plumbing and electricity. And we are so blessed, Father. So blessed. Father, again, we, uh, some of us are in trouble. Some of us are in the sickness. Some of us have surgeries coming up. And we've got friends and family and, and moms and dads that are, that are hurting, that are suffering, that are in the trouble, that are in the storm right now, Father. Please shore up our faith. Give us back our shield that we can extinguish these flaming arrows. Please, Father, draw close to us. Speak to us loudly. Hold us fast. 
We seek your comfort. We seek your guidance. We seek your path. We seek your glory. That this week, that someone, just one person, Father, would be touched. That they would get to know you. They would see you and they would get to know you and be drawn to you. We ask all of that in the loving name of your son, Jesus Christ, who prepares the way for us. Amen. Let's go, fellas.